Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, reading from verse 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savour of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. I am black, but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock, and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. I'm just going to end there at verse 8, and we will bow together briefly in a word of prayer. Our gracious God, we pray that thou wilt bless us now as we meditate upon thy word. Fill me, I pray thee, with the Holy Spirit. Pour out thy Spirit upon each one of us. Give us the hearing ear, the understanding, and obedient heart. Give us a submissive will. Shut us in with thyself, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, verse 2 is my text. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. I may say that, uh, just as a preliminary remark, uh, that uh, this verse is not to be taken in a carnal fashion. It is to be taken in a spiritual fashion. The uh, Song of Solomon uh, is the Song of Songs, according to the verse 1 of this chapter. And that means... It is the best song of all. Uh, Just as Jesus Christ is King of Kings, he is the greatest king. So uh, the Song of Songs is the greatest song. Solomon composed, as we understand from the scriptures, 1,005 songs. The other 1,004 are not on the same level as this song because this is an inspired song. And It describes the love that Christ has for the church and it also describes the love that the church has for Christ. We see what Christ thinks of the church in chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Now that seems strange when we consider what we are. How could Christ say, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee when we ourselves feel that we are blemished and we are sinful and we are vile and ugly because of our sins. Well, Christ sees us as we will be. He looks at our potential and he looks at the completed work in our lives. He sees the future. He sees us in the future. I was watching a video Uh, of a wedding, a young couple that I knew. And the young man was accosted at the door of the church on the day of his wedding uh, by the cameraman who was uh, videoing uh, the wedding. 
And he said to the young man, was it love at first sight? And I happened to know that in that occasion, uh, or for that couple, it wasn't love at first sight. So put on the spot, the young man says, I saw her potential. Uh, What a statement uh, to make. Well, Christ truly sees the potential of the church. He sees us as we will be. And he says, thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Well, look at Christ. What does the church think of Christ? In verse 16 of chapter 5 of this book, he says, or the church says, his mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. So you have Christ looking at the church, saying, thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. And the church looking at Christ and saying, yea, he is altogether lovely. Now, uh, this book is describing that relationship of the, the bride and the bridegroom. What the bride thinks of the bridegroom, what the bridegroom thinks of the bride. I know that some people have composed uh, an imaginary history for this book. And they speak about uh, the, uh, the, the bridegroom uh, and they, they speak about the young Shulamite uh, and how Solomon tries to woo her and she's not interested in Solomon She's interested in her shepherd, a lover, uh, not interested in Solomon. But there is no actual history that corresponds to that. And I think it is wrong uh, to imagine a history uh, where there isn't one attached to it. Uh, There is a key to this book in Psalm 45. Uh, While it's much shorter, it describes uh, the the love uh, of a bridegroom and bride. And then we are clearly told in Hebrews chapter 1 who that bridegroom is because it is Jesus Christ. He's identified in Hebrews 1 verses 8 and 9 as the fulfillment of Psalm 45. And I say the fulfillment of this book is the love of Christ for the church and the love of the church for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want us to focus on verse 2 of chapter 1. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. And the first thing we see here is the intense desire of the church for Jesus Christ. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And, And what she is saying here is, I want the consciousness of Christ's love. It is one thing to be loved It is another matter to be conscious of that love. There are many Christians truly saved and they have great doubts. Am I the Lord's or am I not? Do I belong to him? Is he really the lover of my soul? Am I born again? Am I washed in the blood? Can I say Jesus Christ truly loves me? I truly love him and one day I'm going to be in heaven. Well, that's expressed in a sense in this statement. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She she longs for that assurance that Christ loves her and that Christ uh, belongs to her. Now, if we think of the prodigal son, we get the illustration of this. The prodigal son 
He was so selfish. Away he went to the far country and showed no disregard for his father or mother or brother. He came to his father one day and he said, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he was thinking, I will get when my father dies a third of all his property. The Jews were told the oldest boy in the family, he got two portions and every subsequent son got one portion of the father's estate. So uh, you add one portion to the number of sons, two sons in this case, there are three portions. The elder boy, he'll get two of the portions. The younger boy, he'll get one portion, a third of the estate. And the father gives him what he is entitled to at his father's death. And away he goes. And he goes to the far country. And there he wasted. He wasted his substance. That's where we get the word prodigal from. It's a word that means wasteful. He wasted his substance with riotous living. And the older brother throws in a jarring note right at the end where he's saying that he had devoured his living with harlots. He had lived a rotten, wretched, filthy life. And then when he had spent all, we are told, a mighty famine arose in that land. And no man gave unto him. He had lots of friends when he had the money. And isn't it typical when you're down and out there's nothing left. No man gave unto him. Say to yourself, that's your problem. It's not our problem. Yeah, you're our friend when you have money. We don't care for you when you have no money. And the Bible says he began to be in want. And he joined himself to a man, a farmer in the country. He sent him out to, feed, uh, to the fields to feed the swine, the pigs. Now that was... Uh, a wretched occupation for a Jewish boy. Uh, that young man had been brought up not to eat the flesh of the swine. And now he's feeding them and he would fain, it says, have filled his belly. He was happy to fill his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And then it tells us he came to himself. And he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger, I will arise and go unto my father. I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And the Bible says, he arose and went. The question is, what sort of a reception will he receive when he arrives at his father's home? He's happy to be allowed to take the place of a servant, not to be treated as a son. But will he even be accepted? After all, the news has travelled back home from the far country of his rotten, evil behaviour. Will his father say, be on your way? I disown you. I no longer regard me, you as a son, and I'm not happy to hire you as a servant. Away you go and fend for yourself. Uh, wherever uh, you can find any acceptance. No, that wasn't the attitude of the father. Quite clearly, he had been watching for his son because when he was yet a great way off, the Bible says his father saw him and he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. Now that kiss, it spoke of forgiveness. Uh, the son didn't even manage to get his confession completed. 
The father fell on his neck. And he started to speak of bringing out the fatted calf and putting a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet and so on. So the kiss the father gave him, it spoke of forgiveness. And just and I have more to say on this, but come back to what we read. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips. Let the Lord assure me that he has forgiven me. Let me know that it's all forgiven, that I am reconciled to God, and that's included, reconciliation. The prodigal, he's the one who broke the concord, but he comes back and he's reconciled fully to his father. Now, you will know that that will only come after repentance. Uh, The Bible tells us that God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Uh, We need to repent. And then there's reconciliation. Uh, The Lord's waiting to be reconciled to us. We repent. He's reconciled to us. Our sins are forgiven. What a word forgiven is. What a blessing. Forgiveness. The, The idea behind it is of the removal of sin. You think of the Day of Atonement. When the high priest entered into the most holy place, the blood of the goat was shed. And then another goat uh, called the scapegoat. And we, we carry that expression into our everyday language. Somebody takes the blame and we say, I've been made a scapegoat uh, for, uh, for what other people did. Well, there was a scapegoat on the Day of Atonement. And the sins of the nation were confessed over it. And then that goat was handed over to a strong, fit man, a man of opportunity, and he carried it out into an uninhabited land. We don't know how long it survived in the wilderness. But one thing, the Israelites never saw it again. And they were being presented with a picture. Your sins are gone. They are completely, utterly removed when you've confessed them and repented of them. And doesn't the Bible say if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All our sins gone. Far as east is from the west, in the depths of the sea, figures of speech I know, and yet assuring us God will not hold them against us when we are saved. And then there is the idea of ownership. The Father kissing the son, is saying, no, you're not going to be treated as a hired servant. I'm going to treat you as my son. And when we come to Christ and receive him as saviour, we know that we have been adopted into the family of God. And we, we sit in fellowship with the Lord. Ye are my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You turn from your sin, you discover uh, that the Lord has adopted you into his family, uh, that uh, you are a child of God. And you can sing, praise God, praise God. I'm a child of the King. You are Christ's and Christ is God's. Uh, What a blessing. And then something more about the kiss. It gives to us assurance. The assurance that God is our friend the assurance that we are in fellowship with him, the assurance that he cares. 
and how much the Lord cares. And the Lord wants us to know that we have everlasting life. In 1 John 5 and verse 13, John says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see, God wants us to know. He wants us to know uh, that we are his. He doesn't want us to be the children of the king, mourning all the day, doubting and fearing. He wants us to know. And then, of course, that kiss will speak of protection. When the father takes the son back under his wing, the father will look after the son. Immediately he sends the servants to kill the fatted calf, the, the prodigal's father. He says, kill the fatted calf. I'm looking after this boy from now on. Uh, bring fresh garments from, for him. Bring shoes for his feet. Uh, bring a ring to put on his hand. He's my son and he'll wear the ring uh, as my son. He'll be looked after as my son. And that kiss that we long for is a kiss that signifies to us God's protection of us. What do we read in Zechariah 2 and verse 8? He that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. The apple's the pupil of the eye and it's a most tender spot. Uh, your eye will constantly try to protect uh, itself or at least your body will seek to protect your eye and the pupil of the eye. You get a dart through that, a pin through that, and you will, in all probability, lose the sight of that eye. And the Lord says, you're the apple of my eye. A father might say of his son, he's the apple of my eye. If he has more than one son, it's something of a, a dangerous thing to say because there's got to be fairness in that, of course, if you have a daughter as well, uh, then uh, you have to watch out and uh, you have to try to be fair to all of them. I say to uh, our two daughters, uh, you're my joint favourite daughters. I wouldn't say that to my sons uh, because uh, I don't want them to be uh, effeminate and uh, thinking that way. And I don't want to be effeminate either in saying it to them. But he that toucheth you, toucheth the apple of his eye. You're assured of his protection. Uh, you're assured of his provision uh, with that kiss. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips. What does it say in Psalm 84 and verse 11? No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And we're assured of his presence. For he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So uh, how sweet it is and how glorious and we cry out and we say, let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips. I want his presence. I want his provision. I want his protection. I want to know he has forgiven me. I want to know that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And I want to know that he will look after me in life. And I want to know that he will look after me in death. That I'll be able to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And I want to, I want to know that uh, when eternity dawns, uh, then 
I will be in his presence. He will guide me with his counsel. And afterward, as Psalm 73 says, receive me to glory. So we need to experience uh, that kiss or the kisses of his mouth. We need that first kiss of forgiveness and reconciliation. And then, then we can experience uh, the, the kisses of belonging to him and a full assurance of salvation that we're going to be with Christ in glory throughout the countless ages of eternity. So this is the desire of the bride. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips. And there's intensity in this. There's, there's no treachery in this kiss. Not the kiss of a Judas that we're looking for. Judas kissed Christ. Hail master, he said. But it was the kiss of betrayal. There is no treachery. And the kiss of Christ, when you're reconciled to him, he never betrays you. He never lets you down. He never, ever, ever casts you off. But then I want to think in the second place of why there is such intensity here in the desire of the bride. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips. And she adds a reason. For thy love is better than wine. Think of what wine represents. There is cleansing property in wine. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, the Samaritan poured in oil and wine. Wine will cleanse, but it may sting. But the, uh, the oil, it will soothe. But we want the cleansing. Thy love is better than wine. Yes, there's a comparison here because there's something that cleanses. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, God's Son, that cleanseth us from all sin. How wonderful is the blood of Christ. How amazing the love of Christ that caused him to go to Calvary's cross and shed his blood for our sins. Love so amazing, so divine. And we'll sing it in our next hymn. Demands my soul, my life, my all. The, the wine that we have here in the glass, it is a representation of the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is mighty blood. It is the blood of one who is both God and man. Thy love is better than wine. Uh, wine can cleanse. And then something else about wine. It has cheering properties. Uh, we read in Psalm 104 in the verse 15 uh, that wine maketh glad the heart of man. Uh, man takes the wine. Uh, it's, it's what he enjoys. He, he enjoys the wine as he drinks it. And he says that's good wine. That's vintage wine. And here's an interesting thing. Uh, we discover uh, that uh, the old wine is best. The Lord Jesus Christ said this. No man also having drunk old wine straightly desireth new, for he saith the old is better. Uh, the old wine. Man's heart is cheered by it. Now come to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. His love is better than wine, but there is a comparison. And where is the oldest love in the world? It is the love of God. Yea, I have loved thee, 
God says to us in Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, with an everlasting love. We were loved with everlasting love. We just sang that hymn, loved with everlasting love. We sang that hymn at our wedding almost 52 years ago. And of course, the next hymn that we sang, we also sang it uh, at our wedding. Happy day is your wedding day. The Reverend Cecil Maneri, who's now with the Lord, I remember him saying, if you're not happy on your wedding day, he said, I feel sorry for you. Uh, But loved with everlasting love. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. The old wine is best. The old love of Christ is best. He loved his people in eternity past. I said this to you, I think, last Sunday. He loves us now. He always will love us. So what a tremendous love there is. No wonder the bride is saying, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. And then it's better in another sense. You know, wine especially alcoholic wine, it can ruin people. And uh, it can lead to impurity and uh, it can sour uh, and uh, there are ill effects with it. But there are no ill effects with the love of Christ. You can drink in the love of Christ and you can grasp it more and more as you spend time in his presence, as you read his word and as you feast uh, on his nearness. And it will bring to you a deep and a lasting, and as I've suggested to you, an everlasting joy. In thy presence is fullness of joy, the psalmist says. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And in Matthew 25, Christ says to the faithful stewards, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. When Christian came to the cross and the pilgrim's progress, the burden fell off his back and it rolled down and into a sepulchre and he never saw it again. And he leaped for joy and he said, Thus far did I come loaden with my sin, nor could aught ease the grief that I was in till I came hither. What a place is this! Must here be the beginning of my bliss. Must here the burden fall from off my back must hear the strings that bound it to me crack. Blessed cross, blessed sepulchre, blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. What a statement. What a statement by a man who was known as a tinker, a mender of pots and pans. Sublime language. The burden removed, everlasting life. But very briefly, because my time is almost gone, I want you to think of the enormity of this request. The bride says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips. Christ kissing us, Christ favoring you, Christ favoring me, Christ the absolutely holy one, the one who was ever the delight of his father in eternity past, Christ who made this world, Christ who holds this world in place. And this world is an astonishing world in its immensity and in its complexity. You can look at the vast uh, starry heavens 
And then you could look at the tiny little uh, creatures uh, and the tiny little molecules and so on. And you see design. You see the power of God in every atom. You see the, the immensity and greatness of God as you look up at the sky. And when creation is described in Genesis 1, we're told that God made the sun, he made the moon. And then almost as an incidental detail, it says, he made the stars also. Billions, trillions, quadrillions, quintillions, sextillions, and I lose sight of it. He made the stars also. In one day, with one word. How mighty, how glorious, how majestic is God. And yet, here is the bride making an immense request. And she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips. We're asking the Lord uh, to kiss uh, the very vilest of the vile, the holiest of the holy, to kiss the vilest of the vile. He is infinite in his holiness, glorious, glorious in his praises, perfect in every way. And it's, let him kiss me. Yes, we who are vile, ugly, horrible, sinful. Yet we may make this request. Indeed, the Lord wants us to make this request. In Matthew 11 and verse 28, he invites us to him. He says, come and I will give you rest. In Isaiah chapter 1, after describing uh, the, the sick body, diseased from head to foot, the Lord says, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as well. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. What a friend we have in Jesus. No wonder Scriven wrote it. What a friend all our sins and griefs to bear. And I say this to you. I cannot do justice to this theme because it is, is way beyond any preacher. Way beyond any preacher. We need the Spirit of God to show us the enormity of this request uh, as he did to the publican in the temple. That publican, vile, sinful, conscious of his wickedness, he just cried out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He might have said, let him kiss me, me, the sinner, with the kisses of his lips, for thy love is better than wine. And then one more thought. The request itself is very personal. It is, let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips. Each one of us needs to experience the love of Christ for himself or herself. Uh, we might experience it in a gathering such as this and in a much larger gathering. We might feel the Lord's presence. But even in the largest of gathering, it needs to be personal. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips. It is no good to us if everyone else is blessed, but I am left without blessing. No good. But I can say this, Christ loves us if we are his. And he loves us. And here's a glorious thing. As if we were the only person in the whole world that he had to care for. 
In Psalm 23, the psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I've quoted verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He has so many others to look after. Yet, he, he, he devotes his attention to us as individuals, as if we were the only person in the world. Now, that could not happen if Jesus Christ were not God. You and I cannot devote all our attention to multitudes of people, to a vast multitude that no man can number. But because he is God as well as man, he can devote his attention to us. He tells us, I will never leave thee, the individual, nor forsake thee. And in Matthew chapter 10, uh, and in Luke chapter 12, he tells us uh, about the very fact that the hairs of our head are all numbered. And he says, ye are of more value than many sparrows. He tells us in Matthew that two sparrows are sold for a farthing. Uh, you don't know what a farthing is, but it was an old coin we had. And I know it's only an equivalent in the Bible because uh, they didn't use farthings uh, amongst the Jewish people, but we have an equivalent, uh, a farthing. It was a quarter of an old penny, and there were 240 old pennies in a pound, and that was 960 farthings. So you got uh, two sparrows uh, for a 960th of a pound, a very small amount. And Christ really saying to us, Sparrow, nobody really thinks about a sparrow. Sparrow dies, nobody's interested. But he says, not one of them falls to the ground without your father, without God's knowledge, without God knowing exactly where that sparrow fell. And then he adds something in Luke chapter 12. He says, five sparrows are sold for two farthings. So you're getting a bit of a bargain there. The way we do, you know, you, you, you buy uh, three items and you get the third one free. Well, uh, you buy two sparrows for one farthing. You would expect only to get four sparrows for two farthings, but you get five. One's thrown in, in the bargain. So you might say, that sparrow's worth nothing. It's not even worth a farthing. It's just thrown in because you're paying out two farthings. And Christ says, you're of more value. He's interested in every single one of his people. He never loses sight of them. He is the truest friend that this world has ever known or ever will know. Uh, in Isaiah 49, and I, I am at a conclusion here. Isaiah 49, uh, the Lord speaks uh, about uh, his love for men and women and his love for his people. Uh, and he, he asks a question in that chapter, in verses 15, well, in verse 15, he says, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? And he answers, Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. And he says, I have graven thee, in the next verse, upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. A mother is very unlikely to forget that child that she has nourished and nurtured that she has given life to. She's very unlikely to forget it. But the Lord says, even if she should, even if she should, I will not forget you. He will never forget his people. 
You're graven on the palms of his hands. I remember hearing uh, of a young man who was a vile sinner. And I, I think he committed a horrible murder. And he was sentenced to death at a time when there was death by hanging in our nation. And in the court, the vileness of his behavior was exhibited for all to see. And there wasn't a person that had an ounce of sympathy for him except one. And that person was his own mother. She sat through the court case, heard all the harrowing details of her son's behavior. She stood by him right to the end. And when he was hanged, she made a request. She asked for his body that she might be able to bury a son that she loved that nobody else seemed to love. And that request was refused. And her last request was that when she died, he, he was going to be buried inside the prison grounds. That was the uh, position when uh, someone was guilty of murder and hanged. She asked that her remains might be buried beside her sons. There's great love. There's great love. But how greater is the love of Christ. I have loved thee with an everlasting love, he says. We who are vile and sinful, the Lord Jesus Christ, he loves us and it's a personal request that we make of him. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips for thy love is better than wine. How precious is the love of Christ. There is no love like the love of Jesus, never to fade or fall till into the fold of the peace of God he has gathered us all. May God bless his word to our hearts.